Good morning. It is, that was sweet. <laughs> it's our delight to be with you this morning. We have enjoyed over the last few years getting to know Pastor Don and Nancy, and, and they have become a dear friends, and we're grateful for the partnership that ABWE has with South Church. And uh, ABWE, as you saw in the video, is a, an organization that helps the local church send missionaries. Uh, one of the unique aspects of ABWE is that we don't believe that we have sent any missionaries. In fact, I bristle when people call us a mission-sending organization because God has called the local church to send missionaries. And the Great Commission has been given to the local church. The organizations that, that partner with local churches, we are not the missionary sending organizations, we are the church supporting organizations. And it's our role, we believe, to come alongside the local church as she raises up and develops and sends out missionaries to all the globe. And so we delight in our helping partnership and our helping relationship with, with South Church. And uh, you have some of the most wonderful missionaries that you are supporting uh, that we as an organization love. ABWE, you understand that the task of taking the gospel to all peoples is a huge task. Do we not understand that? You saw some of the statistics, over three billion people have never heard of the gospel. Now those numbers are even hard to comprehend. But the seriousness of those numbers rings true in, in, in this understanding. Uh, of the three billion people who have yet to hear the gospel, if you are a Muslim person or a Buddhist person or a Hindu person, it's not that you just won't have an opportunity to hear the gospel today, but if statistics, if we understand the way community and statistics works, if you're a Muslim, a Buddhist, or a Hindu, chances are in your lifetime, you will never even meet a Christian. It's the way our world is structured. If you, if you live in Bangladesh and if you live in Dhaka, Bangladesh and you are a Hindu person or a Buddhist person, your community, everyone that you do business with is probably a Hindu and Buddhist, everyone that you'll come in contact with and the chances are you will never even meet a Christian. It's why we believe in sending missionaries. It's why we support the local church to send missionaries because someone has to penetrate that community. Someone has to go in and be the Christian that they will meet before they even have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And so we believe in sending missionaries. But that's one strategy, sending missionaries to penetrate those communities, to be able to reach them with the good news of the gospel. That's one strategy. Another strategy is to look for people, the, the one or two Christians that may be in or around that community and support them and support ministries as they grow because we know from our, again, our society today that there may just be one or two or three or four Christians 
in a population of 100,000, if we could find them and if we could partner with them and if they could spur on whatever they're doing and encourage them and resource them, then we can support them and, and make their ministry prosper. And that is uh, our, our, a part of ABWE called Live Global that uh, you support Live Global missionaries. And Live Global is a part of the global family of ministries of ABWE. But Live Global is specifically, their, their strategy is not to necessarily penetrate the culture with an, uh, an American, a North American person in order to reach them. Their strategy is to partner with someone who's already a believer there and to help make them more effective, to do more than they could possibly ever do alone. And... South Church has had a wonderful opportunity to partner with, with many partners around the globe. And so those strategies, multiple strategies, and ABWA has many other strategies. We have healthcare ministries that, uh, that we support. We have major medical hospitals around the globe in Togo and Bangladesh. Uh, we have uh, a North American strategy that we use here in North America to help churches reach every ethnicity. It's called every ethne, every ethnicity that's actually coming to the United States. We know there are many people from, from different lands and, and peoples, nations, kindreds, and tribes coming to the United States. And so we, need, we have the opportunity to reach them while they're here, and perhaps they can go and reach their communities as well. So there's multiple strategies that we can participate in in a local church. And I'm grateful for your participation in specifically the, the partnership strategy as you've been deeply involved in that. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you because there are amazing things happening around the globe. You may wonder, is, is anyone really receiving Christ? Are there churches really being planted? I mean, it, it, are, is missions really being effective today? Um, I'm going to play a sound clip for you. Because this morning, there's been a group of people. Now, they're about seven hours ahead of us. So bright and early, before you were even up this morning, there were a group of people gathered together to worship and having church. This is a group of people that about two years ago, there was not one Christian, not only in their village, but in their people group or even in their language group. There was not one believer in Jesus Christ that even spoke their language. And this morning, they're having a worship service. And it happened because now, there are lots of, you, you understand, as I, as I share kind of a string of events, you understand that the Holy Spirit was behind all of it, right? And from the, and, I, and I'm not telling you, you know that from the foundations of the earth, God had this plan, right? So, but from our worldly perspective, it all started with a single missionary, a lady, single lady from West Michigan, who decided to serve the Lord in a medical missionary's context. She's one of our counselors. She's one of the people that when someone comes to our hospital, 
she would sit with them and just offer to pray with them. And one of these ladies, now this village from this people group, it's, a, it's an unreached people group. It's a people group that has no church in it. Not even, that, as far as we know, if there was even one believer before uh, this woman. There's no, believer, no one who even speaks the language knew Jesus Christ. She comes to our hospital because she has a need. She has a significant need and has to be in our hospital for a significant period of time over a month. And so for a month, this single female missionary from West Michigan would sit with her and offer to pray for her. And she decided that uh, as a nominal Muslim person, that she would, it would be okay for a Christian to pray for her. And so this missionary began praying with her. And as she was praying, she would share the gospel and and the, the lady would politely listen, and then the missionary would go away, and this person would sit, and because she was in the hospital all day, the Jesus film was playing on the monitor in the hospital, and so she would watch the Jesus film all day long while she was waiting in the hospital, and then our lady female missionary would show up and pray with her again, share the gospel with her, and then she'd go away, and she'd watch the Jesus film again, and this happened day after day for over a month until finally this lady, when she was offered to receive the good news of the gospel, put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A life transformed. Well, she gets better and she goes to her village. But there's not one Christian in her village. There's not one believer in her village. Everyone in her village is, is, a, is, a, is a nominal Muslim they weren't really Muslim, but that was their heritage. It was kind of family-inherited Muslim, uh, and that's, that's what they believed, but no Christians. So she asked this missionary, would you come to my village once a week and do a Bible study with me? And so this female missionary would go on Tuesday afternoons to this village, not one believer in this village, and begin meeting with this lady. Nothing special about this lady. She was just a just a lady in the village. Well, as you can imagine, when an American single female missionary began coming to this village to meet with this woman every single Tuesday afternoon, it began causing a stir amongst the other women in the village. And they began getting curious, and so they began coming to the Bible study. Like, why, why does she get a visit? And we don't get a visit. So they began, out of a little bit of jealousy and curiosity, began coming to the Bible study. And so one by one, these women began coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So there was about 30 women who had given their lives to Jesus Christ from the testimony of this first woman, and they began gathering. An amazing story of God reaching these women. But I think you understand a little bit about African culture to know that um, this Christianity would stay amongst the women, but it would never really get to the men through, through, through the women because of how African culture is structured. And so it would take really a miracle to turn this Bible study into a church. But how many of you know that God is the God of miracles? Because it wasn't long after this group began forming that the chief of the, you gotta follow the story because this is gonna get good here real quick. The chief of the village, the, the lead man, the head elder of the village got in an accident and had to go to a hospital. 
and he decided to go to our hospital. And it was a significant accident, and it was going to take over a month for him to heal. And so we had one of our missionaries sit with him and pray with him and share Christ with him, and all day long he would watch the Jesus film. You're, you're way ahead of me. You're way ahead of me. Yes, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as well. And he went back to his village, the, the lead man, the, 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 the head elder of the village, and he decided that it was time for him to go to this women's Bible study, unheard of in his culture. But he decided to go, and so he showed up as the missionary showed up for a Bible study, and the missionary brought a, another a, a, a male believer um, who is, came with her, so there was a, a man with her as well, and uh, this village elder showed up. And how many of you know that if a, if, a, if a leader shows up somewhere, men often get curious and maybe a little jealous? So this leader starts coming to this Bible study, and so the men in the tribe are like, well, wait a minute, why is, this, why is our village elder going to this Bible study and getting visited from these people who are outside of our tribe? What are they doing? So the men started coming uh, to the... And so all of a sudden now there were a group of men that started coming and these group of women started coming, and they were meeting together every single week week after week, week after week, getting trained until finally the chief stood up one morning and he said, you know what, we've been meeting Tuesday afternoons for a long time now. I think churches meet on Sunday morning to worship Jesus. And he decided that it was time for the Bible study to meet on Sunday mornings and worship like churches do. I would love to tell you that ABWE had a master plan for planting a church in that people group with that. But it was really more about faithfulness of a single woman who thought she could do more serving in a missions hospital than she could do serving in a church in West Michigan. And this morning, I'm going to play for you, this is a song. Now, there were no hymns in this, I told you there was no Christians in this people group's language, right? And there were no hymns in their language, there's no music in their language that talks about Jesus. And so the women in that Bible study had to write their own songs, had to write their own hymns, because it just didn't exist. And so this morning, do you want to hear one of the songs that, they may not have sung this this morning, but... This is one of the songs that the women in the Bible study had written. This is a song about Jesus taken from the book of Colossians where it talks about Jesus is preeminent. And you might hear the word Hesu come through here. Isn't that beautiful? That tribe, formerly unreached, formerly not even a Christian that could speak that language, 
now has songs and hymns and spiritual songs in that language as a new church is being born and raised up. That is why missions is critical. This morning in our time in the Word, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 9, the passage that Pastor read this morning. wish you would turn there because I want to challenge us specifically with something that we see in Jesus' life. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 35, and uh, I, I love this passage, and the reason why I love this passage is because it gives us a glimpse into the thinking of Jesus. Now, I love the entire New Testament, and I love the entire Old Testament, but passages of Scripture that give me insight into the thinking of Jesus really interest me. Like, God records for us in Scripture how he thinks. This is one of those passages. It's, it's a passage that will share for us something how Jesus is thinking and how he is feeling. And so, so on these types of passages, like, I'm all in. I, I, I want to know how Jesus thinks about different situations. And so it's a part, Jesus is in ministry at this point. It's a time in Jesus's ministry where he's very, very popular. There are huge crowds following him at this point. And he's going around, and you'll see why huge crowds are following him in a minute. Let's start in verse 35. And Jesus went through all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now it says he was going around everywhere healing every disease and every affliction. I can believe that Jesus was super popular. Could you imagine if Jesus started wandering around Lansing and he was healing every disease and every affliction? Could you imagine the line that would be forming around him and the crowds that would be coming. Really? Can he really do it? Can he really heal me? This is the time in Jesus' ministry where the woman said to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she was. And so huge crowds are following Jesus. I, I can't even imagine. It's during, this is the, during the time when Jesus was feeding the 5,000. Remember when we're told that five, there was a crowd of at least 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, that were following, and Jesus fed those 5,000 through his disciples? This is the same crowd that's happening here. So as we can imagine in our mind and just put ourselves in this situation in Matthew chapter 9, in, in my mind's eye, I see a crowd of, of, of tens of thousands of people. In verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, and now here's where we get a little glimpse into Jesus' mind. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now, my version of the Bible says this, because they were harassed and helpless. Because Jesus had compassion on them. Interesting word choice that Matthew uses there that Jesus had compassion. Because there's some words that Matthew didn't choose, that God didn't choose to reveal to us that Jesus had that I think are important because, because Matthew could have chosen the word empathy. He could have chosen the word sympathy. 
In other words, Jesus could have looked on the crowd and had empathy with them. Like, I, I understand your pain, right? That's empathy. I like a good doctor that has empathy, right? Like you come in with, I, got a, I have a sore side, and the doctor goes, oh man, I understand that. I've, I've had pain there too, and, and I understand that. And, and he treats you with care because of his empathy. But empathy isn't what Jesus experienced. Now, Matthew could have chosen the word sympathy too. Sympathy is not just I understand your pain, but sympathy is, 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 is I feel your pain with you, right? There's sympathetic, I'm, I'm alongside of you. I don't just understand your pain, I feel your pain. I've actually had that disease. I, I feel your pain with, and Matthew could have said Jesus had empathy or sympathy, but he doesn't. Instead, he says, Matthew says that Jesus had compassion. Now, compassion is a little bit different than empathy and sympathy because compassion is a deep awareness or a deep understanding of another person's pain accompanied with actions to relieve that pain. Different than sympathy and empathy. I understand your pain. I feel your pain. I have a deep awareness of your pain and I'm taking actions in order to relieve it. That was what Jesus was experiencing. And he was having that feeling, that sensation, those thoughts on how he could relieve that suffering, on, on to a deep awareness of the suffering, when he saw the crowd and he saw two things, and, and I want to pick these words apart because these words are critical for us to understand how Jesus views crowds of people. Because I don't think Jesus viewed crowds, and, and, and forgive me for this, but as I look out, I don't know very many of you, so I see kind of a blur of faces, you know, and I just, wow, I would love to meet you and know you, but I don't know any of you. And so you kind of just look, sorry, like a crowd to me. Good crowd, Pastor, right? But Jesus saw a crowd and he had compassion on them because they were harassed. This word harassed, it's a, it's a very interesting word. Um, in order to understand it, you have to watch the Discovery Channel, though. Uh, any Discovery Channel fans with me? No, none of you are. Listen, listen this, this Greek word has, has, has a rich meaning. And if you watch the Discovery Channel, you've seen this show. Uh, when I flip through the channels and, and come across Discovery Channel, there's, there's always, as you're flipping through the channel, you, you get the, the, the snapshot is of high, tall grass. And there's a little antelope in the high, tall grass. And he's eating grass. Enjoying a little snack in the afternoon. The sun is shining bright. It's beautiful outside. And the music is soft and soothing as you watch the little, little antelope chewing on his little snack. And then the camera pans over to the cheetah in the taller grass, right? And then the music gets a little more ominous, right? And it's, you know, drums start playing and the music gets lower. And you see the cat and the cat is is looking at something you can't see because they, they have it zoomed into it. You can't see what the cat is looking at, but you can assume because they pan back over to the antelope who's just minding his own business. And he's got a new piece of grass. It's just it's tender. It's, it's wonderful. And he's chewing on it. 
And then the, back to the cat and the drums and the deep music and the cat. And now you see the cat's shoulder blades, right? Uh, I can't do it. I don't have shoulder blades like that. But, you know, the cat is crouching and, he's, and his shoulder blades are up high. Has anyone seen this show? You've seen this show, right? And they go back to the antelope and they go back to the cheetah and back to the antelope and back to the cheetah until finally something happens and that cheetah launches out and the antelope launches and they zig and they zag and, and you see dirt flying, right? As the, as the antelope is kicking up dirt and, and sometimes David Attenborough lets the antelope get away and sometimes he doesn't get away. But regardless, in the middle of that chase, what that antelope was feeling is this Greek word. Harassed, it literally means to be hunted down. And what Jesus is seeing when he looks at the crowd is he's seeing the fact that, that the people are being hunted down by the sinfulness of this world. Have you not seen this in your own experience in life? As, as we look at people, it's, it's not just that we have problems. It's like, it's like sin hunts us down. Have you ever been minding your own business and having a great day and all of a sudden this profound temptation that if you give in to this temptation, it will literally blow up your life? This is the kind of harassment that Jesus sees. That life has been hunting these people down. And he has compassion on them, not because they're, uh, they're, there's, there may be physical things wrong with them. And I would imagine in this crowd there were many physical things wrong. But it's deeper than the physical. It's a spiritual. It's the fact that life in general has hunted them down. And they feel like that antelope. Where one day you're minding your own business, enjoying everything that God has given you, and the next minute you're running for your life from something that's completely out of your control, that, that was hiding in the deep grass. You didn't even know it was there. Jesus saw how this world hunts people down. And then it says they're harassed. The other word in my translation, it says they were helpless. Again, another interesting Greek word. It means um, helpless. No. <laughs> it, it's, it's a Greek word that comes from a, the idea of being thrown down. It's a word that's used in other places in the Bible to, uh, to talk about um, seed being thrown down. Like when, when, a, when a, a gardener plants a seed in biblical times, you plant barley, you would scrape up the earth and you'd take barley and you would throw it down like that. Hard enough to where the seed would penetrate the soil and you could brush the soil and plant the seed. And that idea of being thrown down is this idea of, it's like helplessly being thrown down. And you can see how those two words go together in Jesus' mind because he's looking at this crowd. They're harassed. The world is hunting them down. By the way, this word harassed, another, um, when you see in the New Testament um, what a demon does to someone, if you see the de demoniac in Gadara, remember that demoniac? 
Uh, the Bible says that the demons harassed him. Same word. So as he's looking at these people, he sees how the world and even demonic forces are harassing this world. And they see how this, this group of people, they're not only harassed and hunted down, but they're, they're being thrown down. It's, it's that which is hunting them down is having its effect. People are, their lives are being thrown down. Their lives are being, marriages are falling apart. Relationships are breaking up. Whole civilizations are, are breaking down as, as there are riots and looting and crime and, and sin and human trafficking and all of the depravity of this world is hunting people down to the point that they're being thrown down and their lives are, are being ruined. We don't often think about that when we think of 3.16 billion people who don't know Christ. To me, when I look at those numbers, those numbers often look like a kind of a crowd. I can't pick it out. And it becomes easy for me to ignore it because it's a statistic. It's not a real person. It's not a real woman who comes to a hospital. The only person in her whole language, in her whole people group, who may have access to the gospel for just a brief moment of time. And there's a single woman from West Michigan, of all places, there at the right time to, to help her in her brokenness and in her helplessness while she's having a medical catastrophe. And there are Christians there meeting both her physical needs and her spiritual needs. Jesus does something interesting here. Because um, if this were me writing the story, I probably would have said, um, and this story comes right after Jesus um, was in the boat. Remember when he was in the boat and there was a storm came up and he, he was, everybody was scared and Jesus was down in the boat sleeping and they called Jesus and Jesus stands up and he raises his arms and he says, peace be still and, and the water calms. Remember that story? It happened just a little while before the story. And if I was writing this story, I would have said, well, Jesus had compassion on these people. They were harassed and they were helpless. And so Jesus raised his hands. He looked at the crowd and he said, be healed. That's probably how I would have written that story. It would have gone great with the boat story. It would have been perfect. Jesus would have looked good. The Bible would have read super well. And that's... But that's not what happens in the story. Look in the, in the next verse. Because instead of... Having compassion, again, remember, compassion is a deep awareness of the pain that the people are going through accompanied with actions to relieve it, right? So we've seen the, the compassion. We understand why Jesus is feeling this way. Now, what are the actions accompanied to this? Jesus doesn't raise his hands and heal the people like he did with the calming of the storm. In this passage, when Jesus has compassion and begins relieving the suffering, he turns to his disciples, Look at the verse. Verse 37. And then he said, or turned to his disciples, and he said, the harvest is plentiful. 
looking out on this crowd, there's a plentiful harvest here, team. It's the laborers that are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's interesting to me because the actions that Jesus uses because of his compassionate heart is he turns to his disciples and he tells us that there's a plentiful harvest awaiting. It's the laborers that are few. For some reason, in God's divine thinking, he has chosen to use his disciples in his redemptive plan. Do you understand that? I don't understand why he's done it. I think it's one of the questions I want to ask when I, when I meet with Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived in heaven together, when we, when we meet together and we're breaking bread. Why did God choose to include disciples in his redemptive plan? Why didn't he just do it himself? I think it has something to do with how richly he loves us and how he's gifted us and how he's poured his spirit into us and how each one of us are uniquely gifted to reach the people that God has placed in our life and that there's this rich, beautiful symphony that goes on in our lives while we, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaim the gospel in powerful ways that transform people. It might have something to do with that. But Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, guys, the harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. And Pastor Don, I confess, at that moment, if I was one of the disciples, I, I've always been a clipboard guy. Like, I would have had a clipboard ready for people to sign up right then. I would have been like, okay, if the, if the Harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. I've got a clipboard here. Let's get a clipboard. Let's, let's go ahead and sign people up. If you guys could just line up right here, we'll sign up in, on the clipboard to get people to go out into the harvest. That's not what the passage says Jesus did. Instead, Jesus commanded his disciples to beg Pray, beg, and pray, and beg the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. Beg the sovereign God of the universe to work through his Holy Spirit in the lives of individuals in this church and many churches like this to work in and through the Holy Spirit's working to call to himself men and women who would go into all the world and make disciples. Very much like Paul and Barnabas when the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13, they were meeting together and they were praying and they were worshiping God and the Holy Spirit showed up and he separated out Paul and Barnabas from the church. He called them out and the entire church was a part of the sending process as they filled with the Holy Spirit, either laid hands on and sent and supported Paul and Barnabas, or they were Paul and Barnabas and went out. 
And what Jesus has commanded his church is to beg and plead and pray the Lord of the harvest for that to happen regularly and earnestly in order to reach the 3.16 billion people who have never heard. And so church, my challenge for us this morning is simple. When was the last time we really begged the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field? When was the last time you asked the question to the Lord and you prayed to him and said, Lord, is it me? Have you uniquely gifted me? Am I the one, when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, fear, feel you, your call and your presence in my life such that I should be going or I should be giving or I should be sending or I should be on a team that supports someone or I should be involved in this partnership with a, with a national believer who is doing an amazing thing on the other side of the globe. When was the last time we begged the Lord of the harvest for those things? This morning when I got up very early, I prayed and asked the Lord one thing. My purpose here this morning is not to put you on a guilt trip to get involved in missions. I think guilt trips are short-lived and ineffective ministry tools, just FYI. But this was my prayer. Very much as the dawn was awaking when I was up praying, I was asking the Lord to awaken in every single one of us here this morning the possibilities of what if. What if you began praying? What could the Lord do? I guarantee you when that single woman from West Michigan began feeling the stirring of what if, I guarantee you she didn't think that she would be the focal point of an entire people group having a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. I guarantee you she didn't wake up understanding that or knowing that. And so my goal here is not to guilt you into giving more to missions. My goal is not to guilt you into becoming a missionary. But my challenge to us is this, would we be a church of prayer? Asking the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field and asking that, I think, second question that just goes so well, how, Lord, do you wanna use me in that? How can my small gifts and small abilities, how can my small talents how could that possibly be used for you? A single woman in West Michigan prayed that prayer. Let us obey the Lord's command. Father, I plead and beg with you this morning. You've provided a bountiful harvest. There are no shortage of people ready to receive you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people 
that are open to your spirit's leading to lead us to go into all the world and make disciples, to lead us into sending people into all the world to make disciples, supporting partners that are going into all the world to make disciples. And Father, I pray that South Church would pray earnestly to you to send laborers into the field. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.